Welcome to Media Tribe. I'm Shauna Kinnear, and this is the podcast that tells the story behind the story. It's an opportunity for you and I to step into the shoes of the most extraordinary media folk who covered the issues that matter most. I have been on the very, very harsh end of the news gathering business. I've repatriated bodies, got people out of jail and been involved in negotiating people's release from kidnap. I mean, and it's all very adventurous and glamorous, but the harsh end of it is brutal. My guest this week is Deborah Rayner, the Senior Vice President of International News Gathering for TV and Digital at CNN International. Deborah is based in the US and under her leadership, CNN has been recognized with many prestigious awards for its international coverage, including Peabody Awards, Overseas Press Club Awards and multiple Emmy Awards, to name a few. Deborah, thanks a million for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I was um, honored to be asked. Listen, Deborah, you are the Senior Vice President of International News Gathering at CNN. How on earth did you get to where you are right now? Well, I, I took this job six years ago. And I when, when you first contacted me, I realized I've been in the business for 32 years now. So I never thought I would end up being the head of international news gathering for CNN. I started straight out of college working for an independent production company. And of course, uh, you know, from the people you've spoken to about me, independent, working with independence has been a huge, fun, satisfying, impactful part of my career. Um, I worked for an independent. Um, they were, had a program called The World This Week. I was always interested in the world and media. And from there, I got a freelance gig at NBC News, actually, in London through somebody I knew just before the Berlin Wall came down. So I was doing my first overnight shift at NBC completely on, on my own with a security guard in an Alsatian and, uh, and, and, and it all came tumbling down in Poland. And I think there was a massive train crash and the uh, Ayatollah Khomeini died and you know, it was just a massive night. It was one of those things I think in news you sink or swim. So I was there. Um, the, the fall of communism was underway. I got more work and I left and went to CBS doing the same. I, I worked all the way through the fall of communism. And then I was told that there was a job going at Channel 4 News. And I went over to Channel 4 News and I was the assistant desk assistant with the grand task of sending out the corporate Christmas cards. I remember that. And uh, I know you've interviewed Jon Snow. John was a fabulous friend and mentor to me. I remember on my first week having to take a guest to the studio and seeing him and like, where's the studio? <laughs> um, and even getting a guest for him in Germany uh, and remembering John looking at the camera and saying, he doesn't speak English. So, I mean, really sort of humble beginnings, much supported by the wonderful John Snow at Channel 4 News. And uh, I worked my way through there. I think that was 1989, I left and became an independent producer for a while in the field and had all kinds of adventures uh, in Iraq and Albania for the fall of communism there, the tail end, and um, made some documentaries for CBC and uh, PBS and some independent films for Channel 4. And then they got me back as a job for a job as the foreign editor. And uh, then I was about to leave again and I was asked to set up the Independence Fund, and that was great fun, very hard work. 
And I worked for some years on that. And then I became the independent fund commissioning editor. And I, I was saying to you before you started recording this that uh, I remember the launch of Unreported World and then stealing all my, my inverted commas, indies, the great Cyrus Shaw, uh, Liz Jones, who I'd done a lot of work with. They all went trotting off to Unreported World and I started again, which I've done so many times in my career, start again, start again, start again. And then I think I I was a commissioning editor for Indies for five or six years. And then uh, I was asked to be the senior foreign editor at Channel 4 News. So I'd been the day editor, but I was asked to you know run the whole thing and bring all the independent filmmaking that I'd engendered and um, worked on into the into the daily newsbeat. So I did that, and I I think that I started just as the Iraq War began and got you know sucked back in again. Yeah, and uh, from there I think CNN talked to me a couple of times, and and I decided I went to CNN. I didn't want to do news anymore. I went and worked in what they call their back half an hours and and launched uh, the world's untold stories. And um, within three weeks they told me I was the London bureau chief and I just said, can I think about that please? And they said, no, you bloody can't. <laughs> so, so, so Deborah, back to news again. I mean, you're, it's magnetic. Back to news. Yeah. Um, my very first day, I think my, I started as London bureau chief. The former one handed the keys to the office to me in an airport in Madrid, no handover whatsoever. And my first day, the Mumbai attacks happened. And I remember looking up at the TV thinking, oh, I wonder who's dealing with that. And the next thing is Atlanta screaming at me down the phone saying, you've got six hours of programming to look after. What are you doing? I was like, oh, nobody even told me I had six hours of programming to look after. Everything you've described there, Deborah, it just sounds like your career has been a series of sink or swim. You know, they've just kind of dangled you over the edge and and you've always been a good swimmer by the sounds of it. I've always loved a challenge, but I think I've been lucky enough to have great mentors and bosses who saw more potential in me than I did in myself. Um, You know, I remember when I was made the London bureau chief saying to my then boss, Tony Maddox, that, you know, he said, well, it's a pity because he had another job. I won't say what it is because that person might be listening. And I said, well, I can't do that. And he said, oh, don't be ridiculous. Of course you could with your eyes shut. So I became the London bureau chief. And uh, I think it was the same Dorothy Byrne was a great uh, mentor of mine when she wanted to make me the senior foreign editor at Channel 4 News. I didn't think I could do that. It's so interesting to hear you say that, Deborah. It's kind of, it's shocking, I would say, um, that you, you know, you, there were moments where you didn't think you could do these jobs. Like, why is it that kind of, you let that imposter syndrome creep in? I don't know. I suppose um, uh, to all the men and boys I've loved in the industry throughout the years, you look at them and a lot of them can give good meeting and they just have such tremendous confidence. And you think, gosh, I wish I had a dose of that. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I, I've been really pushed way beyond what I ever dreamt I could do. I was sent to secretarial college so that I would always have a job. And of course it was there I learned my shorthand in typing, which I've used for my journalism career. I was packed off to finishing school by my parents when I was 16 and I hope that I'd probably marry someone and you know, be well looked after. That was the grounding that's enabled me to, you know, go for lunch in palaces as well as, you know, run around in Wellington boots in refugee camps. 
That's amazing. I, I honestly didn't know any of this background at all. Um, and it's it really is so striking to hear you say all that. And I think for maybe for non-telly people, um, it's worth explaining and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Deborah, but what you do now as, as the SVP of News Gathering, you're essentially overseeing all of CNN's international bureaus, all of CNN's international correspondents, international producers and the actual international desk itself. Absolutely. Yes. You know, there are other managers that look after these departments, but it's uh, digital and TV news gathering. Um, there's all the t- the crews and the engineers as well. Um, there's all the, the news desk is based in Atlanta, but there's a big news desk in London. There's one in Hong Kong and there's a smaller one in Abu Dhabi. So I run all of those as well. I mean, so it's completely insane, basically, is, 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 is the point I'm trying to illustrate. It, it is. It's round the clock insane. Yes. <laughs> it is bonkers. So would it be accurate of me to say you are essentially setting the international, the foreign news agenda for CNN? Uh, well, I, I certainly said what editorially, you know, what, which assignments we're going to go on. But I, do, I think it's far more collaborative than that because it's such a big beast that we have to ensure that we're delivering to what we call clients. So CNN International, CNN US, digital, and a lot of them will have their own ideas about what it is that they want for their, you know, you know, we've got very specific shows. So we have business shows and support shows, domestic shows, and our international shows. So while I will run the individual assignments and the correspond talk, speak about all the elective uh, investigations, the ones that NEMA works on and the like, and what I call uh, elective or distinctive journalism, you know, there's a great amount. I mean, I didn't set the COVID agenda. I didn't set the ISIS agenda. <laughs> so a lot of it is responding to breaking news. A lot of it is responding to sometimes really kind of whoa, okay, if you really want that, I suppose we'll have to do it, um, requests. And then there is, then we do have the opportunity to set the agenda with our investigations and with our, you know, um, enterprise journalism. Yeah, and, and, and which has had so much impact along the way. Um, and, and hopefully people will have listened to Nema's episode as well, um, where she talks about um, her piece from Libya and um, mm. human slave auctions, which, you know, it's just, it's staggering journalism um, as well as being completely disturbing. So so moving on, um, Deborah, to, I guess, more the nitty gritty of this interview, is there a moment, and I'm sure there is, in your career where you can really take a step back and say you're really proud of that moment? Maybe it was something, a story or a project that had had real impact, real intangible impact. If you were to ask me about my own journalism and my own production in the field I would say nobody would be surprised at Channel 4 News to hear me say the project I did with Jon Snow in Iran was was groundbreaking it was a huge effort and it was a wonderful it was a wonderful project because nobody thought it could be done Dorothy Byrne was the commissioning editor at Channel 4 News sorry at Channel 4 and it wouldn't have happened without her very instructive attitude to me, which was, well, all right, I'll give you double-digit thousands. And if you get one program live from Iran, I will be cock-a-hoop. And then we got three, and she was, I could, she was just whoop-whooping in the control room as she saw it all come in. And it had never been done. 
and it and it involved me completely trusting a wonderful Iranian producer who was just like, you just have to trust me. So just believing and just trusting is a really important lesson. And I still to this day have no idea how or why or when the Iranians changed their mind. Um, but I can tell you that to this day, as the senior vice president of international news gathering at CNN, uh, governments like the Iranians and the Chinese, they remember me from Channel 4. They remember me from Channel 4, the, 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 the foreign ministry in China, like, we remember you before the Olympics, weren't you at Channel 4? And, and the Iranians do. The Iranians always remember Jon Snow and this incredible uh, run of live broadcasts that had never been done before. I mean, the stories from it are, are hilarious, trying, informative. Uh, as we moved across Iran, it was a big adventure. It was a huge success. It was a great leap of faith for me and everybody in Iran and for Dorothy Byrne. So I would say that. And yeah. was that during the elections, um, Deborah? Did that happen during elections? It, no, it was before that. It was 2006. Yeah. It was. Oh, wow. Okay. And, yeah. you know, I guess maybe people don't know, but it's really, really hard to even get into Iran, let alone operate in Iran sometimes. Um, may, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you guys struggle in CNN now. I, I'd say it. I'm guessing it might be more difficult to go in as CNN than it would be as as, as Channel 4. Yes, but as I was saying, I mean, I've been back a couple of times and I went to Tehran. I haven't been back since for two years, but I go to New York and to go to the mission just to try and, um, you know, facilitate our correspondence going on. And they remember Jon Snow and Channel 4 News and the news from Iran. So it's helped me get CNN in. And That's so we great. can pretty much go in and out as we please because of that, really, I would say. Well, not just because of that. I mean, for like in our correspondent, there's built his own relationships. And as, a, as an executive, I mean, it's really living vicariously through the tremendous courage of people like Nemo, who not only went off to a slave auction dressed as a maid trying to buy a slave for a, for a master, um, but got herself trafficked in Nigeria. You know, she's done some nail belting stuff. And then, then I had to go and visit her once in Dubai where she was being quarantined, having been to the heart of Ebola, you know. I mean, she's extraordinary. She, she She's kind of on a different level, I think. She really is something... Something else, and it 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 kind of it sounds to me maybe Deborah, do you miss being out in the field? Like, is it's it's obviously quite a different position that you're in now now as an executive. I did for a long time, and I don't think now. I think now there are way better people than me to be out there. Um, you know, even our, the people I work with at CNN, Arwa Damon is amazing. I mean, she, we had her follow all the migrant refugees as they came across from Libya and worked their way all the way through Europe. I mean, she lived with them. She traveled on the train with them. She ran through fields with them, broadcasting on a live view. I mean, unbelievable. I want to move on, Deborah, then to, to the next question. Again, I know you'll have, uh, you'll probably have a hard time picking one moment, but is there a really, you know, a crazy experience that you can allude to that um, the audience might know about? Possibly a story that never made it to air. I, I need to switch to CNN because right now I'm hopping back to Channel 4 quite a lot. I mean, when Simon, this is one that cr crossed the two, Simon Mann, who you may remember from the Wonga coup that Mark Thatcher was involved in, when he was arrested and then put on trial in Equatorial Guinea, we actually got into the jail and interviewed him and ended up in high court 
uh, his family sued us and said that he'd given the interview under duress. And I remember just sitting on the bench in high court, you know, having your emails produced. That's always horrible. Uh, there's there's no there's no better way to learn the publish and be damned rule and don't commit anything to email that you don't want to uh, surface than sort of ending up in high court. And uh, Sutton, the correspondent, actually got to uh, the Equatorial Guinean president and I told her that she wasn't to leave without asking him if he did indeed eat testicles. And she did. I mean, she was tremendously courageous. <laughs> and we got this sort of really groundbreaking interview with Simon Mann. And uh, in when we were standing in court, um, his sister went out to see him and he told her that he had willingly given the interview to us and that he'd wanted it to happen. So that was it, drop hands in court with QCs on both sides. But to go to move on to CNN, I was in the London bureau of CNN in like my jeans and cowboy boots, I think getting ready for the royal wedding. And in walks Simon Mann saying, and I didn't recognize him, saying, you know my inside leg measurement, and I just wanted to see you eyeball to eyeball. He actually walked into the London Bureau of CNN to find out who I was. Um, That was was crazy all around. It it did get to air, but there's a part, part of this that didn't get to air, which was an interview that Sue subsequently did having lunch with him in jail in Equatorial Guinea, which she said was extraordinary because he was served wine and eating, you know, it was pretty well looked after, in which he really, really um, dished the dirt on who had put him up to the coup and dished the dirt on Mark Thatcher, dished the dirt on the businessman who had financed the coup. Wow. And that, for all kinds of reasons, ended up under lock and key in a safe in Channel 4. But John Snow and I were called by a very famous PR company to a meeting with this businessman. And I don't know if John told you about this, but um, it's a very well-known pub, um, PR company. And John and I went to this meeting and we had everything taken off us as we arrived. No pencils, no phones, no means of recording it. It was only ever going to be my word and John's what happened at this meeting. And uh, we um, went down to a basement face-to-face with this man who had, according to Simon Mann, orchestrated the coup. He's, he's not alive anymore. And he, um, he basically threatened to kill John. God, John is always getting into situations, isn't well, he? Well, you know, John was like, well, oh, I better wear a, a flat jacket now. And he just <laughs> oh, said, gosh. he just looked at him and said, well, you could always just fall off your bike one day and nobody would know. Wow. So that story never made it to air under threat of John's life and some obviously big legal concerns, but it's, tape still exists somewhere. Wow, God, good, good, good inside info. I certainly did not know that bit of information. And do you, Deborah, then, I mean, there's quite a, CNN and Channel 4 are quite different in the sense that CNN, you know, you've got news going on all day, every day, whereas Channel 4 News at the moment is one particular program in the evening. There must be quite a big difference between those two jobs, what you were doing. There's a huge difference. But part of the reason I went to CNN is I thought that if I was allowed to do some of the enterprise and investigative journalism and storytelling that we did at Channel 4 to a much bigger audience and across so many more platforms that it would be impactful and it would be rewarding. And they weren't doing very much of that at the time. They had very, very good 
correspondence, don't get me wrong, but they, there wasn't that culture of enterprise and distinctive journalism. It was very much a breaking news organization. It's still you know, wins awards for best breaking news. It's still very much the core promise of CNN. But it was the ability to be able to add in enterprise journalism and investigative journalism and a different kind of storytelling. Um, that was what attracted me over there to a much larger audience. And I took with me Nema and Nick Payton Walsh and Nick Glass and Dan, one of our editors, Dan Wright, who was the home news editor at Channel 4 News, is there. So I took some of that culture across with me over time, not all in one go. And yes, I had to learn that it's a very different beast. It's all very well and good to have three days to make a great film, which sometimes you had the luxury of at Channel 4, but you just don't have that luxury at CNN. So it was a try, try and up the quality of the storytelling and the filmmaking while still delivering at speed. Yes, and of course, if you make a mistake on CNN... It's it's the penalties and the the calamity that follows. It's vastly different crisis management on social media as well, which obviously wasn't around when I was at Channel Four. I mean, you 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 really go have a big problem on your hands if you make a mistake. You're unfair, or you know the, all the problems that you can have in a smaller organization with a smaller audience are amplified. Yeah massively across the world you know and you have people on the ground all around the world so we've got a bureau with two correspondents in moscow so all these russian stories of the past year and a half you know they can have a physical and business and professional impact on our teams there well, the, the larger theme there is, you know, your duty of care. And I, I would love to know what a kind of security protocol and meeting looks like at CNN. Like who's at the table? What kind of boxes do you have to tick? There was always a good infrastructure. When I joined CNN, they had run the Baghdad Bureau um, with a comp- one, comp- one security company in Iraq throughout the war. Um, and then when I joined the, the story and the agenda changed and the nature of the threat changed. So I, when I became head of news gathering, it was one of the things that I took on straight away, which was to change our security setup. I mean, the protocols remain pretty much the same, actually. But we have security experts in each of our major hubs so that there's somebody around the clock um, for anyone to call in an emergency and to get advice from. Um, those uh, ex- those experts give advice before anybody goes into the field and they do a risk assessment. Now, you can never eradicate risk, but you can mitigate it. So, you know, anyone that you talk to from the BBC or anywhere else will always say. So you always you always have your exit strategy planned. Um, you always mitigate risk. And we, we've done some really daring journalism, you know, in the six years that I've uh, been head of news gathering, which is obviously since the Iraq war, we, we've really done some daring assignments and, you know, never getting trafficked and, and going undercover, you know, are, are amongst them. But we, 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 our mantra is go there. So I like to think until there's an Icelandic volcano or a COVID pandemic that there is nowhere we can't go. And yeah. we, we, and, you know, that's always a great challenge. And we all enjoy getting around those obstacles as safely as you possibly can. So for those really hair-raising uh, assignments, I will stay up myself. And and I'm really a stickler about people phoning in because if I don't hear from them, I assume the worst. And sometimes they get upset about that. And it's like, well, how long would you really like me to wait before 
we find out that you have been kidnapped. And I, I have been on the very, very harsh end of of the news gathering business. I've repatriated bodies, got people out of jail, and and been involved in negotiating people's release from kidnap. I mean, it, and it's you know the hard end of it. It's all very adventurous and glamorous, but the harsh end of it is is you know, brutal. Bad stuff ha- happens. Bad stuff happens. Real, really bad stuff happens. So you don't want, if you've been there like I have, you really, really, really don't want it to happen. You don't want it to happen to the people you so care about and you don't want it to happen on your watch. Yeah. Well, that's a, it's a very somber note to end the podcast on, Deborah, but also a really, really important note. And I think it just absolutely amplifies exactly what you're doing and the kind of the level of responsibility you have in the job that you're doing at CNN. Um, so thank you so much for, for joining me. You're very good. I know how busy you are. So thanks a million, Deborah. If you liked what you heard on this episode of Media Tribe, tune in next week as I'll be dropping new shows every week with all sorts of legendary folk from the industry. And if you could leave me a review and rating, that would be really appreciated. Also, get in touch on social media at Shauna on Twitter or at Shauna Kinnear on Instagram and feel free to suggest new guests. Right, that's it. Until next week, see you then. This episode is edited by Ryan Ferguson.